Who, who did let the dogs out? Hey, it's Chris Hagen. I'm here with Jimmy. I'm here with Eddie in the show that has no name and probably no listeners either. Hey, I work at Fox 59, but I'm here today. I got up early. And I know you're saying, Hagen, the show starts at 12. What do you mean you got up early? I got up early. I usually go to work at 2.30. So here I am. Had to, had to set that alarm clock, Jimmy. 11 a.m. That was a rough one. The sun was already up. I was like, wow, this is going to be a rough one. But I got up. I took a shower. I wouldn't have showered. I would have, would have worn a hat. But I knew there were these cameras in here now. Yep. You know, you shouldn't marry the two mediums, uh, the two what do you say, media? The two media? What's the word? Yeah. You shouldn't marry TV with radio. Radio, I have the face for radio. That's why I'm supposed to be in here. But nonetheless, we're going to talk a little Butler basketball. Is Mark ready, Eddie? Ever ready, Eddie? Let's bring him in on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the themowershop.com for all your snowblower, commercial, and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. That's a pretty good entry when you talk about Mark Menner, voice of the Bulldogs. Mark, haven't seen you in a while, buddy, but I've heard you on the radio. How you doing? I'm doing great. And and you do know you've got one listener. You've got me. There we go. So I, I, I got yes. you. I got you. <laughs> you know, put you know, mark the tape because I think that would be a great endorsement for this program when you have a media personality. <laughs> hey, you got um, you got Providence at Hinkle tonight, six thirty. A little bit earlier tip. I know players have their routines. I was joking about having to get up early to be here at noon. How does a little earlier tip alter your game day routine? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it is a little bit more of like. Uh, 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 still the afternoon one. The ones that are, are tricky are the, like the noon tips, where you're like wake up, and you're like, okay, we got a game in, you know, 90 minutes. We got to be over at the arena, and then um, and the ones that are really long are these 9 p.m.s, and you see these in the Big Ten too, where you have like nine, nine fifteen, nine thirty ones, where it's like the whole day is there. Six thirty, seven, eight. Those are great, great times for a game. So not a ton of material difference. I'm just glad you're awake and, and going to be able to see the game or listen to the game tonight. I know one thing. Regardless of tip time, if it's in Alaska, Hawaii, Bermuda, Great Britain, when they throw that ball up, Mark's going to be ready to roll. Don't let him fool you. Uh, Tonight, looking at a Providence squad, um, you don't want to get too slow out of the gate when you talk about conference play. Hate to fall to 0-3. What do the dogs need to do tonight to get on the right track? Yeah, you look at the first two games, um, Butler coming off an 8-3 and three non-conference. The first two games, you knew were going to be tough because you got two of the top teams in the league. UConn, a team that's right at you know neck and neck with Purdue for the top team in the country right now at, at home to open. And then Creighton, who was a preseason top 10 team, um, then without Ryan Kalkbrenner, and, and he came back and Bulldogs took two tough losses to open. You're right, this is kind of one of those games where you get a Providence team that's been, been really strong of late. They've won five in a row. They're off to a 2-0 and start in the Big East, uh, but you, if you want to compete, you want to compete in the Big East, those home games, if you're not going to get those games against UConn and, and even Creighton's really difficult, you got to try and win some of these ones at home because going on the road is so tough in, in the Big East. And this is a Providence team that I think there's two, there's two thoughts to this, Chris. One is just, you know, tactically, what do you need to do? And then big picture, what do you need to do? One of the big things for, for the Bulldogs right now has been they've, they've had a very lean rotation and they've started to bring players back now. And that's always tricky in the middle of the season. Ali Ali and Jalen Thomas, two players that have transferred in from Georgia State and, and uh, Akron, 
starting to come back, playing minutes, and you knew that the role was going to be a little bit bigger at the start of the season, but, but just hadn't played in a Bulldog uniform. So figuring out what the right rotation, the lineup combinations are, the minute distribution, that's just something that the Bulldogs have worked through in the last couple of games and will hopefully have a few days, really a week, to get ready for this matchup against Providence to kind of figure out what's their identity, what's their game plan going to be. And then in the game, Providence is – Providence, they, they do the same thing every year, which is they, they are super physical. They get to the basket. They run a flex offense. It's going to be really, you know, it's, it's one of those games where two things are really important. Number one, rebounding. Providence, one of the best offensive rebounding teams, not just in the country, but, but certainly in the Big East. And Butler's really struggled on the glass, getting, getting big uh, you know, margins in terms of being out-rebounded in the last couple of games. So can you be physical? Can you get rebounds? Can you, you know, limit their second chances at the rim? And then number two is going to be a Providence team that loves to get to the line, that loves to, to draw contact uh, against a Butler team that's second lowest in the country with only 12 fouls committed per game. So can you, can you defend without fouling, knowing how physical Providence is going to try and make it? Mark Minter taking some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers, snowblowers, power equipment, and more. The Motor Shop has you covered. Mark, we talked to your broadcast partner, Nick Gardner, last week, uh, just before this two-game slate uh, with the losses to Connecticut and Creighton, and he talked about the anticipation for returning Bulldogs like Jalen Thomas and Ali Ali. I know you kind of mentioned them a little bit there and how important it is. Butler only getting, for the first time all season, 11 guys uh, in action in their matchup against Creighton. And obviously that rotation is going to be fine-tuned. And as you said, that's hard to do on the fly. But how important, once they get that established, will Jalen Thomas and Ali Ali be for this Butler roster that's hoping to get back to the big dance? Well, I, I think very important, and let's take them one by one there. Jalen Thomas brings size, but he's a different type of player than Manny Bates. Manny Bates, the North Carolina State grad transfers come in, one of the best shot blockers in the country, physical presence, but has had to be a little bit more timid or a little bit more limited in terms of his aggressiveness because without him, you, you, the Bulldogs just don't have the same size without Jalen Thomas. So while Jalen Thomas is a little bit more, more of a different game, he'll spot up and shoot. Uh, he can extend out a little bit further. Manny's a physical shot-blocking presence. So you get two different styles for your bigs there, and I think it gives Manny a little bit more comfort to be able to, to be his natural self in terms of how he plays. Um, on, on, the, on the Ali Ali side, this is a guy who was you know, leading scorer for Akron last season, a team that went to the tournament, and, and Ali Ali, who's you know, a capable scorer in multiple, multiple dimensions. So it, it just gives Butler another opportunity offensively. He's also got a little bit more size as a wing to be able to bring a little bit different of a of scoring threat. So when you had nights where maybe you know the shots aren't falling for some of the, the starters for, for the Bulldogs, for some of the core returning guards, uh, and, and Eric Hunter Jr., you know, can Ali Ali really help lead the Bulldogs in scoring or, or provide a really good threat off the bench, depending on what his role develops out into the season. So I think it creates additional versatility and depth with some talented players that have been there and, and done it in college basketball before, just trying to you know get their legs back under them, get their conditioning back uh, in, in game shape. You think uh, about Thad Mata, and he's just a Butler guy through and through, and it was it was funny when – he got the the head coaching job, and people were talking about. Well, he was head coach here before. You think it was that was just a uh, a blip on his on his resume because he he rose so quickly after being an assistant. Then he gets the the head coaching job, and then he's gone so quickly. Uh, just you can't argue with his success though. Everywhere he's been, and you know I, I've came into contact with him tw- twenty some years ago. Just always just impressed with the man, the personality, and, and the coaching. Obviously, uh, 
it's been great to have him back. What what kind of fingerprints of his have you seen uh, on the program just in the short time he's been back? Yeah, it's been it's been great to have that. I didn't know him uh, too well prior, uh, and obviously, anytime there's a coaching transition, you know, you, it's 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 always bittersweet in, in all directions. But to have a guy like Thad Mata come back, uh, who who, as you said, not only uh, has coached here, has played here too. Has played here, was an assistant, was a head coach for a year, had a lot of success in terms of helping the Bulldogs at the beginning of this millennium. But um, I think when you when you think about his DNA and his, I mean, that's fiery. That is a tough, tough. Um, he is he is competitive as heck. He is going to get out there, and he is going to you know. I think stylistically, what you've seen is a, is a looser offense where they've tried to run a little bit more. They've they've tried to um, you know kind of read and react a little bit more this year. So there's some so some technical stuff out on the out on the court. But but just I think in the locker room, somebody who's been there, done that at the highest level, he's got a 740 win percentage, one of the highest win percentages in all active coaches in college basketball and, and so so he has the credibility he has the experience his teams historically if you look back at them have gotten better as the year has gone on and i think the other thing is he's you know he's he's, he's just seen it all before right so he's not going to overreact in one situation he's not going to underreact in another situation he understands how to manage a game how to manage a locker room and and he understands what it, what it means what the expectations are at, at butler so it's been fun to watch him not just on the court which sometimes it looks like you know, Thad's about to lose his mind out there. Uh, get back in college basketball. You know, after some of those games, it's like, oh, you didn't miss that part for the uh, for the last five years. But um, but you know, I think you think even just the learning and the teaching, and you talk to the players, and you and you talk to some of the other staff members like a Greg Oden, like a John Diebler that have played for him, that have come back and now on staff with him. You, you understand what type of family atmosphere Thad creates, and while he has high expectations and 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 high demands. Uh, he also is a teacher. He's an educator. He's a he's a motivator. He liked to call himself. We were at a, we were at an earlier event. He said he said I feel like I you know I, somebody told me to watch Ted Lasso, and I watched Ted Lasso. <laughs> and I thought maybe this is kind of my next chap. You know, like this is my next style. And then you get out there in the game, and it's like you can be Ted Lasso and still realize that the Big East is is really really a tough conference. And you got to bring it every night and, and and keep that intensity up. But it's been a blast to to get to know him and just to watch and and learn how he manages a team, manages a game. Uh, and manages the season. What's funny is, and you're privy to this more so than than us, who you know occasionally get an interview. But w- when you're with a team, so many people only see a coach or a player on game day, and they'll be like, "Oh, I hate that guy." I, I know I'm a, so many people hated you know Brian Cardinal. Oh, I hate that guy. But then you meet some of these coaches that are so fiery on the sideline and players that kind of you know play with a chip on their shoulder, and and they're like the nicest, the sweetest guys. And you tell no, you'd love them. You'd, you'd love to go have a beer with them. You'd love to. Go. It's just when you see them in that narrow two hour window of game day, players and coaches alike. It's sometimes it's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, isn't it? Well, you, you know that. And some some guys, I mean, it can literally be – let's take, I mean, you know Greg Oden, for example, right, and, and the kind of monster he was on the floor. And I think, you know, the, the success he had in college and then the number one draft pick, and you, when you meet somebody like Greg, you think, well, this guy was, was a beast. I mean, he, he was aggressive and all these – and you meet him, he's like a gentle giant, right? <laughs> I mean, he's the nicest guy in the world, um, you know, and and so I think that goes to, with it, with it, with its players. To your point, coaches who are on the sideline who have the different type of pressure and different ways they they motivate. I think it's the, the the challenge with that sometimes is when you get freshmen or you know eighteen, nineteen year old kids, and it's you know people draw these quick 
um, conclusions of who they are or how they it, that that part is always tough to watch and because these are you know guys that are going through college and and going through their own ups and downs on the court in life etc so you're, you're right I mean there's there's always so much more beyond the two hours on the floor or the the three minute video clips that that people see uh, to to add to sort of the texture of everybody's life and and that's what makes it fun right that's what makes it fun to go through these seasons and and you know kind of watch and observe a program like Butler. Mark, I always find it fascinating to ask different color analysts and play-by-play guys of teams of, oh, where do you think this team is going to go? How do you feel about the pulse of this team? Can they make some noise in their conference tournament? Can they make the big dance? On the NBA side of things, it's obviously a larger sample size in terms of games, so you can afford to wait a little bit longer before you make that designation of this team has the potential to get to where they want to go. In your area, it's unique because of the injuries, specifically to Jalen Thomas and Ali Ali, that you don't really fully know what this complete product is going to be. This is their final game, obviously, of 2022. As we get into the real meat and potatoes of the conference schedule, at what point in January will you feel like there's a a clear identity of this as a team that can be a legitimate threat in the Big East and ultimately reach their goal of of making the big dance and, and making some noise there? Yeah, it's, there's always there's always kind of those sections this season, right? I think the non-conference portion, you look back at Butler and you think, okay, eight, eight and three, and you had a super lean rotation during that time. Didn't get some of the ones you wanted to get in terms of those highest profile non-conference wins, but you got some good ones and you didn't lose to anybody you shouldn't. Now you're in the early part of conference season. You've got a tough start to the schedule. But, you know, as you creep into January here, Jimmy, right, you, it's, you only have 20 games in the Big East. Right. And if you're trying to go 500 or a little bit above 500, every every loss gets uh, you know, starts to feel like a weight on you, right? And so yeah. I think I think now you look at these next few games. You've got a matchup against Providence at home. You've got Georgetown on the road. You've got DePaul at home. You look at this stretch of, of games and you think, okay, now we've got an Ali Ali and Jalen Thomas at least a little bit of the rotation, a little bit more time to practice. Can we start to figure out what our identity is going to be? Because if you're looking at games, Georgetown, DePaul, uh, two of the teams that are kind of lower in the conference, you know, can, can we get our sea legs under us and our identity built before we head into the nine-game gauntlet of, of January? And, and then the pressure just continues to mount, of course, in February and March. But like I said earlier, one of Thad Mata's staples is his teams get better. You look at winning percentage in February and in March and, and over his uh, 17-year career, career at Ohio State and beyond his teams just get better and they adapt so excited to see what kind of uh, adjustments and, and identity gets built as the players do return and, and that's the exciting thing I was about to follow up with you Mark is you know you all, the coaches say you know one game at a time it's a long season but this is when you hit that that stretch where you find out what this team's going to be is this going to be a, a, yep. a memorable season you know because you know you're 0-2 in the conference you got some winnable games starting tonight you make you make a little burst, and then the start the the picture starts to develop. So you got young guys, you got a new head coach. You're trying to blend all that in, but right now, the, you know the the time to get ready is over. It's it's time to to see what this is all about. So to, for me, that's the exciting. This is the exciting part of the season, as Jimmy said. You flip the calendar, and these games they just start coming fast and furious, don't they? They, they really do, and I and I think your point about the Providence game tonight is. The one of Providence is a good team. They've got a great program. This is an NCAA tournament team season ago, won the Big East. They got Bryce Hopkins, a, a transfer from Kentucky, who's been a, a stud in the conference, 16 points, 13 rebounds a game. This game's about can we show what, what type of physical team we can be? 
right? A team that's real. You've been out rebounded by big margin the last couple of games. You know what Providence is going to do. They're going to try and bully you. They're going to try and uh, draw fouls. They're going to try and grab rebounds, second chance opportunities. I think this is this is as much you know about a statement of like who are we at home, right? Who are we as an identity with our team? Can we hang with the, the physical nature of Big East teams night in, night out, which is going to be a big test beyond just the, uh, you know, the, the, the getting the players in the rotation and the other things we were talking about. And you like to reward the, those, you know, loyal Bulldog fans. You want Hinkle to be a special place, get a little sure. Hinkle magic, get, get a W, get them excited about coming out the next time. Mark, we're going to let you run. Do you, you have a, a particular pregame meal you like to have before you, you get on the microphone there? Uh, you know, it's a good. I think I think I'm going to get a couple two topping slices in the media room. That'll probably be where I'll uh, I'll probably roll over with 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 that pregame. Also, I I have to say I was listening right before and I and I, I like the idea of somebody got cooked. I think I <laughs> thank think you. you should uh, I think you should hire a patent attorney real quickly and trademark that thing. Yeah, that's before Jimmy steals that. I, I'm so. glad that you said that, Mark, because that is my intellectual property now. So I, I'm going to make <laughs> some money off very this. Very intellectual. Very intellectual. <laughs> yeah, For absolutely. once in my life, I've been intellectual. Mark, always appreciate the time. Love your work. You, you know you do a great job, and uh, I expect more of the same, win, lose, or draw. Let's go get that W tonight, though. Appreciate you both a ton. Have a great one. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. That's Mark Menner. He was on the guest line brought to you by the Moore Shop and Fishers and the MoorShop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Hey, we're back on the Fan Midday Show. Fan Midday Show. I'm Chris Hagan. That was Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is running the board and making us sound good. Maybe not look good, but we're doing something well. I hope Sarah, who gave us the info about the the Colts or the Pacers bet, says we sound great, Jimmy. So we got that going for us. That makes at least two listeners if you count Mark Minner. So got that going for us too. Yeah, my buddy, uh, my buddy. I'm not going to say his name, but let's just say he's um, he's one of the the men in blue. When in regards to the use your turn signal, he says I come to a stop then put my brakes on, and then put my signal on. So you are part of the problem. Let's get this figured out. i tell you who always has it figured out. He's our old friend, and he's no stranger to this studio. He's the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Give it up for Mr. Matt Taylor. Matt. Coach, what are we doing? I love you. All right. It's, me, good to be, it's good to be with old friends. Well, you know, are you saying I'm old or like a long-time friend? I prefer you say you're, long-time you're a, friend. You're a, you're a good time and a long time. Thank you. Uh, the guest line brought to you by the Moore Shop and Fishers and the MooreShop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Now, Matt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal how the sausage is made. You do a little <laughs> thing with Chris Widlick. Every week you do uh, Tuesdays with Taylor or Mondays with Matt or some type of uh, alliteration-based uh, segment. And he always calls you and uh, supers you as Colts radio host. Now, I think that's a disservice to you. I would prefer to call you voice of the Colts. But since it's you and your job, what would you prefer to be called? Oh, man. Just call me... Uh... <laughs> You're supposed I don't to know. You can. You're supposed to answer me. and make me sound right that you are the voice you, of the Colts. You're not the Colts yeah, radio let's, host. Let's stick with voice of the Colts. Let's just keep it simple. Thank uh, you, man. Man of man of many voices. Um, a lot of voices in his head. Uh, whatever you want to do. Yeah, voice of the Colts sounds good. Or you can just do Colts radio unicorn guy that can do 
Just about everything. Anything and everything. All right, we're out of time. Matt, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Matt, you've uh, you've you've min- many talents, and uh, we've seen them on display on a stand-up comedy stage in a radio studio and on the road and at home with the Colts. Um, what is your philosophy when it comes to, in, in a rough year, let's be honest, uh, do you do you try to do you sugarcoat it? Do you call it like you see it? Is there a mandate? What is your your game day philosophy? Win, lose, or in, in this season, a draw? No, I don't. I don't think it, it's. Uh, I don't think it really changes regardless of the record. I think it's um, you're there to to report the the facts. You know, be objective. I mean, obviously, you know, you're calling the game with a Colt slant. There's no question about that. Um, and you're going to get. Uh, you know, you're going to have more. Uh, you know, pep in your voice. Um, you're you're going to use your voice as an instrument when when the, when the team's doing well. But you know, when you're sitting here at four, ten, and one, whether that's on the air during a game, you know, putting the game into context, or uh, you know, if you're doing a talk show, um, you know, during the week leading up to the game. I mean, you you got to be real about things. You got to put things into context. You got to tell tell it like it is. Um, you know, just like you, just like everybody else. You know, you don't make it personal, um, but you don't shy away from you know what what the uh, you know what the season's been, how they've gotten there, uh, what's led to it. Um, you just I, I think the biggest word that I just go back to is just context. Give people uh, reasons for you know why they're on a a five game losing streak, right? Why they've lost eight of nine? Why the offense continues to struggle? Um, and so you don't again you don't make it personal. You don't take shots at guys, but you know if if you want people to respect the broadcast and respect. Um, you know, the fact that they should tune in every every day uh, or every game, it, it should be, you know, t- tell the tell the story, uh, you know, narrate the game, be objective, highlight the Colts when they do well, but also tell the truth as to, you know, why they're 4-10-1 on the season here. Well, unlike you, Matt, I do like to make it personal. I, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> now, some folks, even the most diehard fan, they probably haven't watched every play of every game. And I, I preface that by saying you do you you're watching every play you're not like hey i'm gonna go get me something to drink here or get some more nachos you're like locked in so not setting you up to sound like a homer or an apologist but just looking at there are just so few plays where this season could have gone differently and i i mentioned some earlier you know uh, hot rod misses the overtime field goal in houston there's a win uh terry mclaurin catches a, a miracle pass for the commanders here, there goes another win. Is it? Am I wrong in saying this team is like four or five plays away from still being in this division hunt? When you see, you know how Tennessee's kind of come back to the pack. I mean, it doesn't seem to me like the team is that far off. When you see how few plays have determined uh, a lot of these games, without question. And plus two, if you look big picture league wide, I mean, seemingly every game comes down to the wire. I mean, you look at. I mean, I think the Giants and the Vikings are a perfect, um, you know, those two teams played on Christmas Eve. I think they are a perfect matchup to sort of encapsulate, you know, what the NFL is here in 2022. The Giants have played 12 games this year, um, you know, where where games, uh, the results have been decided by one score. Um, They are, uh, you know, they have eight wins of those 12. The the Vikings are a perfect 11-0 in one-score games. So seemingly every game comes down to the wire. They're going to be decided by eight points or less. And unfortunately, this year for the Colts, they're four, five, and one in one-score games. And a lot of those, you know, those those six non-wins 
in those tight games are obviously incredibly winnable, and they come down to just a handful of plays every single time out. I mean, the Commanders game, as you brought up, is a perfect game you know, to sort of drive home that point. The, the Philly game, when you're up 10 in the fourth quarter, you can't close that out. I mean, just the other day against the Chargers, I mean, the Colts are down 13-3, to and they get a takeaway in plus territory. Um, and you're, you're going forward on fourth and one at the plus 11-yard line, and you can't get it. And it's two weeks in a row where basically the game's on the line. It comes down to fourth and inches, and the Colts come up short. I mean, it's just kind of a microcosm of, of how this season has been or how the season's gone this year for the Colts. And you know, if the Colts get a touchdown there, it's 13-10. to 10. You, you basically have the entire fourth quarter to go, and it's another one-score game. And, and who knows if the Colts can make enough plays in the fourth quarter to win that game on Monday night. Instead, you know, you, you turn the football over. You, you can't move an inch to get a first down. And then the Chargers go 88 yards on, on 12 plays, and they get the, the game-winning touchdown or the game-sealing touchdown in that instance to go up to, you know, 20-3. to three. And then, you know, the box score says it's a 17-point game. But just the feel and the overall, you know, uh, mood or you know, how you feel about that game afterwards, it's like it, it really wasn't even that close. But, you know, for an instance there it was, and, and that's sort of been the, the season for the Colts in totality where they're so close – but yet at other times they feel so far away based on, you know, the teams that they're, they're playing and, you know, teams that are making plays against the Colts in crunch time in the fourth quarter where the Colts aren't making plays down the stretch. So, yeah, in some ways it feels like this is a team that's really, really close. And then in other you know, ways to look at the season, it's like, yeah, they, they look and feel like a team that's going to be picking in the top ten next year. Yeah, five of the ten losses by one score or less, and then the tie. That, that's six potential wins on the table. And right. You mentioned, I mean, you kicked that field goal against the, the Chargers instead of going for it, and you, it's a, a touchdown game. And then, even in the game, the embarrassing beatdown in Dallas, they're, they're going for two late in the third to try to make it a, a 21-21 game, and right. then you turn it over 17 times in a row. So even that game was a competitive game for, for three quarters. But, uh, but as you said, uh, and I'm going to pass it over to Jimmy because I know he has a very thoughtful question. But as you said, I mean, and as we've seen over the years, the, the margin between winning and losing in this league is, is razor thin. Jimmy. Matt not to be the bad cop with all this but to your point about there's two sides of that coin are they really a couple pieces away or are they just a bad team offensively regardless of where that question is answered in the offseason the Colts are going to have as you know decisions to make at the quarterback position focusing on who's on the roster right now Saturday's made it clear Foles is going to work out the last two games of the season not as much for Matt Ryan but for Nick Foles what is he playing for if anything here other than He's a veteran. He wants to show he can still do it. Is this still a, I don't want to call it a tryout, but a an audition to, to still be a part of this team in some capacity? Or is this merely he's an innings eater, to borrow a baseball analogy, we're just trying yeah. to get through the last stretch of the season? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I know both guys are under contract for next year with Ryan and Foles, but, I mean, we all know what that means. That right. doesn't guarantee you anything for – uh, for 2023, I mean, and that goes for anybody under contract for next year. I mean, even the likes of, uh, you know, guys that are, you know, playing at a Pro Bowl level or All Pro level. So, um, yeah, I think I think anytime you take the field, you you have to treat that as an opportunity to continue to pad your resume and to continue to stake your claim that you should be part of this franchise going forward. But obviously, quarterback is so I mean, such a hot button issue 
considering this team has had what a, a different starting quarterback every year since you know 2016 or 17 or whatever the number is. I've just completely lost track. Um, but yeah, I mean Nick Foles knows that he's probably not going to be in the mix to to be you know in terms of best laid plans the starting quarterback right. next year. But he's definitely in the mix to you know come back and play out his contract and compete to be the backup quarterback in 2023. So it's 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 definitely. I mean, once the gun goes off against the Houston Texans next Sunday, I mean, that's going to start a very, very busy offseason for the Colts. And it's going to start first with the coaching search. You know, it's it's just Jeff Saturday more than just the interim guy. Um, You know, the the, the Colts obviously have a lot to hash out. I mean, anytime you're, you know, you're you're four, you know, ten and one, um, or whatever the record is right now, um, you, you have more than just quarterback issues. But I think the biggest issue um, or the biggest to-do uh, on, on that list in the offseason is going to be to figure out what is the, the the best laid plans at the starting quarterback. Do they need to find a franchise quarterback with a top-ten pick? Because they're assured a top-ten pick. We know that. Right. And what do they do with that? Um, and if they don't do a quarterback in the draft, you know, can you make a trade or can you bring in another guy in here that you can establish as a potential franchise quarterback? To me, we talked about this on the podcast this week. Um, you know, it's it's obviously everybody right now is talking about bringing in a quarterback in the offseason in the draft. If you do that, to me, I think a prerequisite for me has got to be he's got to have some mobility, right? He's got to have some athleticism. He's got to have some dynamic uh, traits about him and it's not just like the Lamar Jacksons or the Jalen Hurts of the world where you know that's front and center but I think you look at the quarterbacks now with Patrick Mahomes he's got pocket escape ability Joe Burrow has that I mean obviously um, you know the quarterback in Buffalo Josh Allen has that so it doesn't have to be just exclusive you know run around make plays but you need more mobility than obviously what the Colts have at quarterback this year with you know Matt Ryan and Nick Foles and you know, the, the 56 sacks allowed, that's a high number. Obviously, the offensive line is culpable, but I think a lot of that or some of that goes to just the, you know, the, 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 the you know, I hate to use this term, but just the, the statue-like quarterbacks, the lack of mobility the Colts have had this year between Matt Ryan and Nick Foles. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but I think the, the Colts are definitely going to have, you know, a long to-do list this offseason, and quarterback is right there at the top. To follow up on that, and Matt, I've never asked you a question like this, so if I am, uh, be broad if I am being too uh, in the realm of you as a team personnel, you can't really answer this, but for you as a broadcaster, you're obviously so focused and so much of your job is on the prep week to week over the rigor of the NFL season, but I know you love college football as well, so a lot of big games coming up uh, that could potentially impact players that the Colts might select in April. How closely, if at all, do you monitor things like like bowl season or like the college football playoff as we get close to the last audition for some of these potential prospects the Colts could take? Yeah, no, great question, and I'm being truthful when I answer this. Like, not at all. Like, I don't watch. Okay. I mean, I think I watched... A little bit of the third quarter last night between, I mean, between, like you said, just the the Groundhogs week that is the NFL season where it's like rinse, wash, and repeat and get ready for the next game and cram for the next team and get to know them you know, intimately for the uh, upcoming game on Sunday. Um, so between that and plus just going home and trying to be dad and 
and you know right. having two kids. I don't watch watch a lot of college football, at least intently. Right, I'm not taking notes and I'm not watching film, things like that. So I watched a little bit of the Kansas Arkansas game last night, but it was just sort of on. It was on the background. It was sort of wallpaper. Um, so to be honest with you, I couldn't even name the top five quarterbacks right now in the draft in terms of potential and and you know guys that could go in the top five. Um, by April, I'll get there, right. but right now, I don't have the brain capacity for sure. it, to be honest with you. So you're not going to come over to my big cookout on Monday to watch Mississippi State and Illinois? They'll all the, come. In the They'll definitely come, yeah. <laughs> but it'll, it'll be the first time all year I watch Mississippi State. Matt will come eat, and then he'll leave before the kickoff. <laughs> well, oops, all right, Hagen, we'll see you, buddy. Um, it is funny how like um, you get laser-focused. Like I have to kind of keep a lot of plates spinning. I'm keeping up with the Colts, Pacers, Purdue hoops, IU hoops, bowl games. And you, like you said, kind of weird if you ask me, you have to be intimately uh, acquainted with the next week's opponent. So I just mean, you know what I mean. Don't make it weird. I just thought it was kind of strange. But anyway, uh, you do have to because that preparation, and it goes back to your days as a player, you have to be prepared because – Okay. Oh, who's this number twenty-seven guy that just you know did this for the, for the opposing team? And quite frankly, with this year's Colts roster, you've had to get an updated roster almost weekly with that as well, because you don't you don't get to sit back and wait like that stuff's happening on the fly, and, and you've got to be kind of prepared where some of that comes comes flying yeah. into your head instead of trying to to point and search and click. Well, it's also funny too. I mean, you play the you know, we're playing the NFC East, the Giants, and we play them once every four years. So, like, any intel you have on them really is is so different compared to when we played them in 2018. Plus, you're playing them so late in the season. Like, a perfect example is, like, in the offseason, I'll, I'll try to establish just some, um, you know, some baseline information on the teams just to give me a little bit of a running start no matter when we're playing a team. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, you look at the Giants. They entered the season. Their top four guys on paper at wide receiver were Kenny Galladay, Wondell Robinson, Kadarius Tony, and then uh, you know Shepard. Um, and 16 weeks later, Robinson and Shepard they're sidelined by I think ACL injuries. Tony now plays for the Chiefs. He was a trade at the at the trade deadline, and then Galladay's basically benched. I mean, I don't think he has like four catches on the season. Um, he doesn't play at all. So now it's they got Slayton. Um, they've got. James, Richie James, and then Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, these are guys that are barely household names probably in New York City, let alone Indianapolis. And so, yeah, we just don't, at least me anyways, I don't, I don't watch a lot of Giants football because they're not on typically when, you know, the Colts aren't playing. They don't play a lot of primetime games. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a crash course to get up to speed on them. And then the Colts roster is ever-changing. You're seeing a lot of guys being elevated from the practice squad. So that's the challenge on a week-to-week basis. Just is just to get to know these guys, you know, six days between games, and uh, make it sound like, anyways, to the audience, like you know who these guys are all season long. Is Eli still quarterback? I haven't kept up with it this year. <laughs> um, real quick, before we let Matt Taylor voice the Colts go, I always like to try to make an impression on people, Jimmy, and I like I like to give good advice and good resolutions. Now let's see how much Matt listens to me. I believe it or not, I have a lot of pet peeves, and one of them involves play-by-play people, Matt. Can you relate to the listeners my pet peeve that I have always passed upon yes. to you and made sure you don't do this? Go ahead and tell them. Well, I think you have two of them, if I'm not mistaken. All right, let's hear and it. I think one of them is your, your big pet peeve is the ball doesn't rest, right? So the ball's not resting at the 40-yard line. Right, right. Because the ball is not 
not alive. It's an it's, object. It's not taking a break. <laughs> Correct. Right. And then I think your other one is is you know the Colts get a stop on third and five. And they don't force the Giants to punt. The right. Giants have elected to punt. That, thank you. As we learned in, from Lane Kiffin, you're never forced to punt. They went for it right. on their own nine last night. But I hate when they – and that pass is incomplete. The Broncos will be forced to punt. Who's forcing them? Is there Are there some uh, armed there guards? Listen to me, mister. Line? You're going to punt right now. <laughs> no. And they will go the they'll go the field goal route. Or they'll they'll choose to punt. Or they'll, they'll send on the punt team. That's fine with me. But – you listen to the bowl season, Jimmy, and Ed, you'll hear this, and they'll be forced to punt. Who, who's forcing them? That one I can get behind. The the, the ball resting, I don't know. That, I, I, it is a pet peeve for a reason, so I, I respect I, uh, it. But. I didn't invent the ball resting at. I, I adopted yeah. that one, but the forced to punt was one that yeah. really irks me. And also, Matt... I like the way you, you, you go into a game and you, you like to bring something a little different. You like to have some – you're not going to say the same thing over and over again, so I'm excited to hear. You know, I, I often have to leave these games. Like the other night, I had yeah. to leave at halftime to drive back to the studio. So I, I like to listen. And as you know, that's a huge responsibility because a lot of folks out there driving and with satellite radio right. now, not just in Indiana, people are, are – you are painting the word picture and you do it beautifully, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's like – that I've 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 been like a melting pot of of uh, like things I take from different guys, and I think what you're alluding to is like that Doc Emmerich, where you can watch a hockey game that he called, and you know there's going to be hundreds of of passes of the puck in a hockey game, and they'll have a hundred different words to describe a pass. Right. So I'm not on that level. I'm trying to get there, um, but yeah, I, I struggle with you know how to describe a pass without saying the same thing over and over, like you know fires or lasers or spins it or, you know, spirals it, you know, try to come up with, with different adjectives to describe things. Same thing with tackles. Um, I got a couple. Here's, here's some, uh, write these down and I'm going to listen to listen, say them this week, say (laughs) he levels him. He levels him at the 12. He levels Barkley. And how about, uh, how about he, he spins one. He'll spin one over to Pittman gain a 12. Yes. Give me yes, a spin and a level. I'll be listening. I'll I'll uh, I'll make you a, an extra an extra burger on the grill if you throw one of those out there. Matt, you yeah, don't believe to... it or not. Believe it or not, I've actually done this exercise on on plane rides to games where I'm just sitting there killing time. I'll get out a notepad and I'll just rack my brain with different ways to describe tackles and passes and try to incorporate those as best I can, you know, for the following day. Matt, you don't have to comment with this, but uh, I just want the Colts' next quarterback to be good enough for you to be able to say he's in his bag. I want to, he's in his bag from Matt Taylor. That, that's what I want at some point in time. <laughs> he is, so, what? He's in his bag. He's going into his bag tonight. Oh, well, I like it. I like that one. I have no that's idea good. what that means, but I know it's time to say goodbye to, to Matt Taylor. They're giving us the wrap. Matt, always great to talk to you. If I don't see you, Happy New Year. And uh, yep. just just remember, only two games left. <laughs> you got it, boys. <laughs> happy New Year to you. Appreciate Matt, you. Matt Taylor, he was on the guest line brought to you by the Moore Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. We have to hit a break as Matt will now be getting intimately acquainted with the New York Giants. Hey, what's up? It's me, Chris Hagen, Fox 59. Filling in today on the what show, Jimmy? The Fan Midday Show. I can't remember that because I have a traumatic brain injury, but I'm having fun regardless of the name of the show. Now, Eddie, you're a slick guy. Now, did you play this song for any particular reason? See, this is how time is a flat circle. Everything always has a meaning. You really didn't? Honestly? 
Okay, then you're honestly, right, yeah. Right. Do you okay. know why I'm pointing out this song? Well, why it's I, interesting that we're playing this song. I'm right not now? trying to undercut your story, perhaps, but I do know that JP is an alum of Alabama. Well, let's take it a step further. Okay, JP, are you there? Uh, I am here. Yes. Good afternoon. JP's got the good pipes because he does like he's a national guy. He does local stuff with the uh, the Jaguar Jaguars, which I'm sure they taught JP. <laughs> As soon as he got his his first day on the job, uh, JP Shadrick, um, let me explain this to you, Jimmy. Guess he's a proud graduate of the University of Alabama, but guess where he went to high school, Jimmy? The same place you did. Boom! That was the secret surprise, and you the Easter egg. <laughs> Hewitt Trustful High School. Uh, I think JP's the second most famous alum behind Jay Barker, national championship quarterback. Did you go to? Were you, was that before your time, JP? Uh, it was, and I'm I'm way down the list. I'm I'm not even close to you. You're way above me. I think I would agree with that. I would completely. List. You know, it's. I was there. I graduated in 2000. So do the math on that. I don't know. Well, there was a there was a pitcher. I think class of '97. I forget who it was, but I think the number one overall pick in a major league draft was out of Hewitt Trustful. Yeah, Jason yeah. Sanders was his name, and he, he played for the Rays system for a long time. Yeah, that's right. And then Brandon Cox was the Auburn quarterback. Right. He was a sophomore when I was a senior. And then uh, since then, they've had a few players roll through. Noah Igbenogany, a first-round pick with the Dolphins, is uh, from J- there. JP, stop, because every name you throw out there pushes me further down the list of distinguished <laughs> alumni. Uh, uh, don't, don't forget about Brent Key, the new head coach of Georgia Tech. See, great. Now I'm out of the top ten. <laughs> what a disastrous <laughs> phone call. Um, you, you've got a, a unique career that you've got going, um, and we've never really talked in person, but I, one time you had posted on Twitter a, a, a Hewitt Trussell HT logo, and I'm like, there's no way that's that logo exists somewhere else. And then we, we, we got in touch, and sure enough, the same high school. You've been doing some cool things with uh, Westwood One. You were on that uh, the call the Dolphins and Packers, I mean, a meaningful game, uh, an exciting game, and then some newsworthy things out of that game. Let's start with that before we talk about Jaguars. Uh, let's, let's start with the, the positive thing with Aaron Rodgers. And as you're doing that game, are you are you in shock and awe about how he has got this franchise back in the playoff mix and, and the way that team looked like they were dead in the water for the season and in that game, and somehow they came rocketing back? You know, it always feels like when you have him, you have a chance. You're never really out of this thing because when he says relax, everybody seems to kind of relax a little bit and and play a little better football. And they certainly did that in the second half. Now, part of that game was, you know, Tua started throwing interceptions. They might have played it a little different in the second half. But then Aaron Rodgers got his act together after struggling in the first half, misfiring on some balls, showing that frustration. Well, he just kept playing, you know, and it's not like he threw three touchdowns or anything, but he he played better in the second half and took advantage of those uh, takeaways that his defense got off to. Uh, and, um, hey, you know what? They still need some help. they got to go win games, but they've got them both at home against dome teams coming to Lambeau the next two weeks. So it gives them a little bit of an advantage if the weather is – crappy then hey they might have an even better shot against some of those teams that can throw it around minnesota detroit coming in there so um you know he's never out of it until he's officially out of it uh, when you have a guy like aaron Rodgers back there they're not used to to losing games. they haven't lost a december game since 2018 think about that wow. right so they always come to play when it matters and it certainly matters right down for the packers 
JP, on the other side of that coin and that matchup, the Dolphins very much still alive in the playoff race. But again, Teddy Bridgewater now under center with two are back in the concussion protocol. When you look at the Jaguar or when you look at the Dolphins rather, and the Jaguars right there in the hunt as well, but mainly for the South, not so much the wild card. Look at the Dolphins and their state of affairs. How did you feel about their flow against? Green Bay, and is this a team, as you look at their final couple of games, New England upcoming, can they get over the line without Tua, with how explosive that offense is? Yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, it's a totally different feel than what we were just talking about with the Packers, right? I mean, they look great in the first half. I mean, Tua's hitting guys in stride. Waddle's catching and running down the sideline. He's hitting Tyreek on a deep ball. Okay, that's great. And then the second half, you know, the fumble happened right before halftime. It turned the whole game around. And then we come to find out later, we didn't see it in the stadium. And I don't even think they showed it on replay on the Fox broadcast where he might have hit his head on the back of his back of his head on the field to get him the concussion protocol on Monday. But he plays the whole second half. All of a sudden starts throwing interceptions a little high. Who knows if that's really what came of that. But either way, it happened. And uh, he's throwing picks all over the field. Now, moving ahead, is he going to be back for Week 18 is another big question, right? Um, Because there was that record earlier in the season that they were undefeated when he finished a game. Well, uh, he's not going to be out there this week. Can can Teddy step up and and play? That's a tough environment in New England to play. Uh, And New England's up against it, too, by the way. They need the game. That's a big football game. Um, But when it comes down to it, I think they come back down and take care of business against the Jets in Week 18. Uh, That's a Jets team that's really scuffling right now. They've got a good defense, but uh, the offense leaves a lot to be desired. Jags saw them on Thursday night last week. So if two is back in there, uh, they've got their best shot, obviously. Uh, All they got to do is win a game. If they win one of the next two, they're in, and maybe they stamp this losing skid and and figure it out because – you know, they don't have much more than, than that, though. They've got the passing game, the two receivers. Um, that's about all they have to offer. There's not a whole, whole lot more down in Miami to, to hang their hat on offensively. So if two is not there, that, that could spell some trouble for them. Talking with J.P. Shadrick, he was on the call for the uh, Dolphins and Packers game. Now, J.P., you don't have to tell me the truth here, but when when Waddle is scoring a touchdown and two is making a pass, do you – do you hit the cough button, a cough button, and go roll tide, and then turn the cough button back off? <laughs> Those days are long gone. No, 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 no more of that. Um, until they start sending jewelry in the mail to me, then no. I mean, I, I don't get any of that stuff. So that, that's long gone. And um, you know, but hey, there's there's guys everywhere for a reason. Yeah, there's some good football players that come out of there. And it's funny, like I'm up here in Indiana now. I grew up in Alabama, but you'll always see that there's always an Alabama A, somebody that's never been to Tuscaloosa or maybe doesn't know that the university is in Tuscaloosa. But you win that much, you're that successful, you're going to have some uh, bandwagon fans. Uh, interesting, you talk about, you know, uh, this will be my smooth segue into talking about the Jaguars. We're looking at a year we could have uh, Tampa, Miami, and Jacksonville. All, all three Florida teams in the playoffs. I don't do research. I don't know if that's unprecedented. But early on in the season, did you foresee a possibility of the Jags maybe moving up and getting hot and perhaps the Titans having some struggles? Can you believe that we're in this situation now where here the Jags are in the driver's seat in the AFC South? Well, I think a lot of folks were kind of tempering their expectations around here this season with the new head coach, second-year quarterback, everything that had gone on in the offseason. 
how do they figure this thing out? What's it really going to look and feel like in year one of this whole thing? And to be honest with you, at the end of October, it was like, okay, they're done. They're going to Cancun in January. Forget about it. <laughs> no way here, right? I mean, they lost five in a row. They're losing fourth quarter leads, and the quarterback's throwing interceptions all over the place and fumbling the football. It just was not clean. And then the London game happened, where the Jaguars lost to the Broncos, and Trevor Lawrence threw, threw, threw two interceptions in that game. One of those, an inexplicable first and goal at the one into triple coverage. And it's like, what are we doing here? And that really kind of turned the light bulb on for him that, you know what, I'm killing this football team right now. And he put it on himself to maybe come in a little little earlier, a little longer work, you know, maybe just dedicate himself a little bit more to it. Um, and he expected a little bit more out of his teammates, too. He, he kind of stepped up in a leadership role in that regard, too. Yeah, it's me throwing picks. But we, hey, we got to run not an eight-yard route, a ten-yard route here. And that communication, that open line of communication with the football team and the quarterback uh, really turned things quickly. And since that point, he's been fantastic. So um, I think they are beyond expectations this season right now uh, at the record they're at. Uh, They haven't had a winning season here since, of course, 2017 when they went to the playoffs. So uh, that's the next step. This group really wants to have that winning record at the end of this regular season, 9-8. and So they got to win the next two. Obviously, they'd be the AFC South champions if that happens, but uh, they just want to finish what they've started and what they've figured out. And I think that's uh, more the big picture. They have figured out now, okay, we can win games different ways. It'd be better if they could be up three scores and not have to rally to do it, but hey, uh, they'll take it anyway they can get it right now. They just got to keep this ball rolling. Looking for some payback this week in Houston. And I can tell you, I won't give you all the details, but I'll let you fill in the blanks. I was in Vegas when the Texans won at Jacksonville, and I was very upset. I was very upset. I'll let you figure out why. But that was a disastrous pick that he threw going in into the end zone. Uh, Lawrence throws that pick, and I'm going to calm myself down, Jimmy. I'll let you ask the next question because I'm still heated thinking about what happened. Go ahead, Jimmy. (laughs) JP, for you – covering this Jaguars team and, and you've been kind enough to to come on the program over the years and, and we appreciate always your coverage of the Jags. When you look at where this team has been this season, the Colts, I feel like fans should be a little bit more worried. I'm sure the front office of the Colts is aware as well, but the type of a leap that many were expecting Trevor Lawrence to have it looked like early on in the season it might not be there, particularly over these last couple of weeks though, he's really started to put in the numbers that was kind of expected out of him right out of college. It's very hard to do at this level, but how much has he and just these the weapons of Christian Kirk, Marvin, Marvin Jones, Travis Etienne, to name a few, been for this Jaguars team over this stretch as they're back suddenly in the playoff picture? Yeah, like I said, it starts with the quarterback, but you mentioned a couple of those names there that, that certainly help out in that regard. It's Christian Kirk, who they paid through the nose in free agency, to get. He's played well. Zay Jones has stepped up. Uh, also a free agent addition. Evan Ingram, the tight end the last three weeks or so, has really played big. All three of those guys are at career highs in yardage for a season already with two weeks to go. And they're only going to keep building it, I think, the last two weeks and, and move it on into the postseason. Travis Etienne's over 1,000 yards on the ground. That's why they're the number six offense in the NFL right now, which is pretty amazing to think about. So all that combined is part of that just building chemistry, communication. It's all new, right? I mean, Trevor's in his second year. 
all those guys are new to the organization. They spent the whole offseason trying to, to figure that out. But you really have to go play games together, you know. And middle of the season is when it really the, the light started to turn on in a lot of regards. And it's not – it's not the same guy every week. Um, there's not a lot. There's some ego for every NFL player. I get that, but it's not like it's not a diva wide receiver room. So if one guy has 120 yards one week and two touchdowns, the other guys are happy to block for him downfield uh, the next week because they know they're going to get theirs. You know, and they, they've kind of rotated that around this year, and that's been that's really been the great thing to see is the the development of those three, four, five guys together with the quarterback. Hey, this is the start of something. Could be around for a long time, sorry to say, at Indy. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> the Jags aren't going anywhere anytime soon with a lot of these players. I was talking with Jeff Saturday when he after he took over as interim head coach here and they had some setbacks, uh, to say the least. And it was about, you know, when he played here for the Colts, they always just expected to win. Regardless of the score, they felt like they were going to win. And sometimes you can kind of see the Colts here. You're, you're waiting to see what's going to happen to make them lose. What, what was it that flipped now? Because when I see this Jaguar team, regardless of the situation or where they're playing, it seems like they now expect to win, whereas they were finding ways to lose. And once you get that ball rolling downhill, sometimes it, it just keeps on storming down. Uh, can you sense that now with this squad where they feel like, hey, we, we have our destiny, we're going to win, and, and we fully expect to win? I mean, I guess there's a little of that. I'm still a little cautious with some of that because it is still – uh, not even through one full year with this whole crew, right? And it is the same year that they've lost all those one-score leads in the fourth quarter and, you know, and, and couldn't finish those games early. Maybe they figured out a little something, but I mean, the grand scheme of things, let's, let's, let's tap the brakes a little bit. They've been good for about a month and a half, right? I mean, it's not like they've been good for seven years, you know, so they're not, they're not quite to that point yet. And I think that's why Doug Peterson's taking the approach this week of, hey, well, we've got to play. Like, you know, Titans might be sitting guys or whatever they have to do on a short week to get ready for week 18. Well, from the Jaguars' perspective, they haven't clinched anything yet. And they've got to go learn to win a game like this in Houston this week against a team you're really supposed to beat and in this pinch that you need to go win it. And just, you know, they in theory, they don't have to win it, right, because – Week 18 matters no matter what happens this week in terms of the division. There is still the wild card at play, a long shot, but it's still out there. And then all of a sudden, if you get a tie one of these weeks, you just need to go play the game. So that's why Doug Peterson, I think, has that mindset still. Hey, we'll, you know, unless you're really hurt, you're going out to play. Now, I'm curious if it's like third quarter, fourth quarter, and you're up by three scores, do you give some more, you know, carries to Jamichael Hasty instead of ETN or. Do they adjust that as the game goes along? But going into it, they've got to figure out and at least um, you know teach this team to have that killer instinct when they're up against it in a playoff race. J.P. Shadrick of Jaguars.com as well as broadcaster of college football for Westwood One Sports. Nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and MotorShop.com for all your residential commercial mowers as well as snowblowers, power tools, and equipment, so much more. They've got you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the MotorShop.com. J.P., switching to the Colts for a second by extension with your college football uh, coverage that you're involved with. Colts are in that same boat the Jaguars have been in the past, which is they're in need of a quarterback, and there's a, a high chance the Colts make that selection of quarterback in the first round of this year's draft. Uh, of, let's take 
just for the sake of argument, Young off of the board, uh, of Stroud, of Levis, of Richardson, to name a few. Have you seen any of them or been able to call any of their action on Westwood One this year? And if not, what is your overall takeaway from afar as you look at those uh, three quarterbacks or any other maybe quarterbacks I didn't mention there that, that you see as options for success the next level? Yeah, it's a good question. I So I didn't have Alabama this year. I had them on a different network in years past, including the Iron Bowl last season when he rallied down the field with no timeouts in Auburn and, and got the, the big throw to the freshman for a touchdown and then the overtimes and everything. And, and we've seen that time and time again with Bryce Young that he has that ability late in the game to, to rally a team and get it down. He can make all the throws. Um, he's a little a slight let's say i think that's the the nice word he's not a huge guy like he's you know six one but he's doesn't have a lot of meat on the bones right so can he can he handle the the heat can he handle the pressure can he handle the hits you know and it's not like he's a true running style quarterback right. either so that's a question at least for me then i had uh, cj stroud a couple times i had him last year uh, when he threw six touchdowns against michigan state and, of course, this year against Michigan when uh, they were just kind of uh, handled, the, the Michigan team handled them, I think, yeah. in the second half of that game. But I like Stroud. I mean, I, he's a bigger option there, just to name those two. So, um, you know, I think it's about time that the Colts did not have a draft pick uh, quarterback that works out. I know the last <laughs> little while they've had they've tried different veterans there and maybe they've worked or not, whatever. You know, may, you know they, they've had a lot of success there over the years, and maybe it's time to just end that run right now with the quarterback. <laughs> you know, as a that. lifelong Mississippi State fan, I think the way to go is Will Rogers. I think he is uh, – no, I'm kidding. Hey, uh, JP, <laughs> when was uh, – it's nice to be to be around the country now and you see the Milo sweet tea in all the grocery stores. I have to wonder, though, when was the last time you enjoyed yourself a actual Milo's burger in the Birmingham vicinity? With that sauce all over it. Oh, my um, gosh. It's probably 1999. It's probably been that long. Oh. I mean, you, know. you know what? Yeah. I'm gonna, next time I'm home to see my mom and brothers, I'm going to have to figure out a way to ship you some <laughs> Milo sauce because people just think it's a – they think it's just a guy, a company that makes tea. But, no, it started as a little hamburger joint. Hamburger. Strictly in the uh, Birmingham area. I think they built one at one point. They had one in uh, Mobile and one maybe in Tuscaloosa. But now they're just they, – they don't go anywhere else. They know what they're doing. And it's it's good, and it's good for you. JP, we, we love your work. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to have you as a, a Hewitt Trustful alumni, and we'll have to get the Mel Kuyper's big board to see where you and I line up on the draft status of notable alumni. But uh, you're, you're doing a heck of a job, but it's always good to catch up with you. Hey, same to you, man, and appreciate the time as always. And yeah, we'll uh, planning on being up there for the combine, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get together during combine time this year. All right, make sure you get approved for a little bit extra on the expense report for dinner before you before you come up. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to kind of massage it. I think. Nice, yeah, nice. All right, JP, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Happy JP. New Year. Uh, thank you too, guys. Thank you. Next, via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, themotorshop.com, Nate Atkins, beat writer, covering the Indianapolis Colts for the Indianapolis Star, as well as on the Cover 2 podcast with Joel A. Erickson, fellow beat writer over there at the Star. Nate, how are you doing on a Thursday? I'm doing great, man. Just just getting through uh rest this week, and hopefully travel's okay to New York this week with how crazy flights are right now, but I'm looking forward to it. You uh, you flying or are you driving? I am flying, yep. 
Are Luckily you... not Southwest. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I got a trip uh, next week planned, and uh, we're in the Southwest boat. So uh, fingers crossed there, but safe travels to you all the same. Uh, Nate, we, we've talked to you about this uh, a number of times throughout the season, but in particular now the playoffs are off the table. Colts forced to play the role of spoiler. Uh, Nick Foles showed what a quarterback looks like without a lot of first team reps left a lot to be desired and that's being kind against the Chargers uh, what's been the mood this week as you've kind of probed around and, and had different player meetings as well as uh, regular conferences with Jeff Saturday and company as they are basically now just a spoiler trying to get through the final two weeks of the season yeah, they're really playing out the stretch right now and I don't even so much feel the spoiler attitude, I don't I don't. I haven't gotten it, the sense that that's really inspiring guys because it's just so far removed from the position any of them you know wanted to be in, expected to be in this season. Um, it's just very weird times right now because so much is up in the air with the franchise, the direction of it. You know who the head coach is going to be, uh, potentially who the general manager is going to be. Even though obviously Jim Mercy has come out and said it will be Chris Ballard, but. Uh, things are always kind of up in the air for, for guys here right now. So I just think a lot of players are looking at uh, – I mean, they, they like to win the game, obviously, put in work throughout the week. You want to be rewarded with a win, so they will try to do that. But I, I still think it's more – you know, guys are finding their own ways to kind of motivate through a very tough stretch right now when there isn't something on the line and there's not uh, clear, clear roles to carve out for this team. So, you know, you've got upcoming free agents, guys like – Fabio Carrique, Paris Campbell, and Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Chase McLaughlin. Those are guys that, you know, this this really matters for them to, to, to try and find a home, whether it's here or somewhere else. And then you have young players. You know, a lot of rookies still engaged. Uh, Todd Tichelani Woods and Alan Pierce and Rodney Thomas. Those guys, you know, they're, they're trying to get better and try and just try to get their careers moving. But really everything is about just sort of development and, um, and resumes right now in, in trying to – trying to find staying power beyond this year because they're all kind of dealing with the fact and the, the disappointing fact that this season has not gone like any of them thought it would. Hey, Nate, it's Chris Hagan from Fox 59. And uh, I, I was going to point this out, too, that's so strange, is that even though they didn't make the playoffs last year, those last two games carried meaning. You know, win and you're in, win and you're in. There was, there was drama, there was excitement. And this year with two games to play, the Colts are one of just eight teams that have been eliminated. So, and the, the limbo of the head coaching situation. Yeah, they've said Ballard's back, but who knows? So much up in the air. So this is truly a time in the ultimate team game when really you could make a case that guys are just playing for themselves right now. It's all about me, my resume, my tape, and getting better. And that's a strange way to be, uh, particularly when you're playing football at this level. No doubt about it. That's exactly how it feels. And, you know, I try to be careful because – I don't want to paint any of these guys as being selfish as if they weren't for the team. They, they went a long time this year where they, they kept in that mindset. In fact, sometimes I wondered, you know, I, I was surprised it didn't splinter earlier in the year when, you know, the results weren't going their way and there was a lot of craziness. But they really, really tried to keep it together for as long as they had those hopes. But at some point, you know, reality became reality for them. And that, not just with the results of the game, but I just – you can see too much writing on the wall, you know, when you bench Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger, they brought Matt Ryan back, but then at some point, you know, this is past week, they benched him for Nick Foles, and um, these guys know, they know, there's a line that Chris Ballard's used, uh, you, you know, you can't BS the locker room, which is about, you know, these guys know who's give them the best chance to win, and they know 
you know, they know what they're up against. And just at some point, this offense, especially once they're down, uh, I guess it's a net of two coaches when they bring in Jeff Saturday, but certainly the guy down three coaches, if you think about Frank Reich designing this offense for them, uh, they're, they're just very short staffed. They don't, they haven't had the offensive line that they've wanted. And Jonathan Taylor's on IR, and then they're going to a quarterback who was a third stringer a couple weeks ago. At some point, you do have to kind of just. You know, they say all the time, control what you can control. If you're, if you're going to tie yourself just to the results of this product, you're going to go insane right now because it's just not built to have success at the moment. So guys have to kind of look inward and just find how can they develop, how can they – and really, like, the, the closest thing to team element here is delivering for the guys around you and helping them uh, be in a position to maybe, you know, reach some of their goals or continue their development. But it's very much become a team of guys – just looking out for themselves in a business aspect because that's just what's natural when the franchise has put them in a position where winning really isn't even a chance for them. I guess a team like the Chargers, I just never felt like they had a chance. I don't. I personally don't think they have a chance this week against the Giants, and it's just because of kind of the situation that this offense is under in a league where offense wins, and that's the reality they're playing through. You talk about maybe some cracks in the facade there, talk, you know, the saying all the right things, and. Zaire Franklin is a dog. He's a warrior. He's a man. Whatever you want to call him, he's a captain. He cares. He leads the team in tackles. He's really stepped up when being called upon. And even he had said after that game, I don't know if you were in that scrum, but he had said, got to take care of the ball. You got. He had not blatantly called out the offense, but you could sense a, a little frustration when you think about how many games the Colts have played well enough to win on defense. But even they say, like, you, you know, the players know. They know that this offense has held this team back for the majority of the season. Yeah, you think about it. Like, everything that we talk about, right, about, uh, you know, all week long, everything that's, that the fans talk about on Twitter, like, these guys are living at every single moment of the day. And, like, their futures are tied to it. So and they know, you know, they know football more than all of us. So they know exactly what the state of this team is. And for a long time, early in the season, you know, there was some understanding of, you know, new offense with a new quarterback. You know, they've been through this of, of starting slow. You know, back then they were able to kind of lean on Frank Reich's track record and just the reality that that it does take a little bit of time to put this together. But so for a long time they. You know, I, I really give the defense credit for the, the leaders in that locker room, like Zaire, uh, like Bobby Okereke, DeForest Buckner, Stephon Gilmore. They've said all the right things all season long, trying to give this offense some confidence and and not you know not beating them up when when they haven't delivered. But at some point, like they they had to re- they were all realized that this is what it is. Like it, the offensive line never got dramatically better. The passing game never got clean and explosive and you know it never got it never came together because it all kind of splintered apart and so there is this feeling now where the defense is going out there and they're trying to play well for what we were just talking about for how they look their resumes their you know their staying power in the league um for each other on that unit that's all there but they don't feel like they have any chance to turn this around because right now even if they force turnovers, which is hard when you're trailing a lot, even if they force turnovers, if they're not taking it all the way back for a touchdown, there's just no faith that they're going to score because the guys on offense don't have faith that they're going to score. I, I've just never – I've covered three teams and I've never been around a unit uh, that, that believes so little in itself as this Colts offense right now. And those are the guys that practice with the defense every single day, share a locker room. So they feel all of this, and it's just it, – it's gotten very difficult to – 
motivate as a team when, you know, when everything, all the doubt on the outside, you know, for the longest time they channel that doubt as sort of a motivator. At some point I think they start to believe the doubt is who they are, and, uh, and that's a hard thing to work through. Nate Atkins, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the motorshop.com, the Colts beat reporter for the Indianapolis Star as well on the cover two podcast on the Indy Stars podcast network. Nate, when this season eventually does come to a close here in two weeks, you and Joel have both been reporting on this, on Jim Irsay's comments that Chris Boward's likely to be back at some point. You have to take what the owner is saying some say with a grain of salt, but other times you keep saying it, you got to take it as truth. How quickly once this season ends, do you anticipate moves being finalized for this franchise? I'm talking about maybe not a public reaffirmance of Chris Ballard, but in terms of this coaching search, how quickly do you expect these pieces to line into place uh, as the Colts work through their offseason checklist? I think they'll take a decent amount of time before anything's official. You know, they're very aware of Situation. They're aware enough of the situation with, you know, with, where Jeff Saturday is going to interview, but they they have to make it a search. You know, they have to interview, you know, minority candidates for one to meet the the Rooney Rule, and right. they want to try and look like they're giving the chances to everybody. And so, you know, it also depends on who they're after. You know, there's certain guys if they're in the if they're in the Jim Harbaugh hunt, you know, they're not the only team that's going to be interested in him. Uh, so there's a little bit of process to let play out, it, you know. But really, I think quite how fast it comes together will ultimately come down to if Jeff Saturday is going to remain the coach. If Jim Mercy is headstrong on that, and that's ultimately the guy he wants to go with, you know, I think that you would think that would come, you know, earlier than later. If it's not, you know, then they'll try to go another direction. But right now it's just a little bit hard you know, there's a few teams out there, Carolina, Denver, looking for coaches. There's a couple others that could, like maybe Arizona, maybe the Raiders. Uh, so they're they're kind of in a derby of teams that are going to try to appeal to the coaches available. And uh, and, and right now, they, they're just going to have to see what their options are. If they do want to go with one of the top candidates, you know, they're not the only team going after them. And right now, it's – they're, they're going to have to do a lot of selling because it's just been a hard couple of months of owner stepping in and being so involved in the biggest decisions of a franchise and kind of throwing a lot up into the air, especially when you also need a quarterback. So selling the right coach on that can be a challenge. But if they are keeping Chris Ballard, obviously that, that can speed it up because you're not searching for a GM. And, and he's been, you know, they they fired Frank Reich, you know, several weeks ago. So he's been compiling candidates he'd like to, to interview and come through with on this but it's all it's all a guessing game because it all comes down to what Jim Irsay ultimately wants to do he runs this ship he's been running this season in ways that I've never really seen an owner do and he ultimately unless he just relinquishes that and gives it right back to Chris Ballard I think that's probably what you should expect to happen with a coaching search which means it could be a quick hire just Saturday or it could go in a direction that kind of none of us are even expecting. Nate, last question for you before we let you go. Obviously, I'm, I'm having you speculate a little bit here, but but when you look at the 
tumultuous seasons for a number of different teams around the NFL. A lot of Colts fans still have scar tissue from the last two to three retread quarterbacks that have been thrown through here. Uh, is there still a sense of weariness on your beat that with guys like Derek Carr getting benched, Aaron Rodgers' name getting thrown around, that the Colts might try to explore yet again a patchwork move this offseason? I think they will look to explore a bridge quarterback, but I, I don't expect there to be a move where you bring in a guy like Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz or Philip Rivers to be the starter and just move on with that. I think they have to go to the draft. And part of that's the fact that they put it off for so long. Jim Irsay has kind of made it clear he's he's ready to be off that uh, carousel and at least try to build something with a young, young option who could be long-term. But also I just think they're in a tough spot to sell themselves to a veteran quarterback. You think last spring – they were able to get Matt Ryan to request a trade from the Falcons to the Colts because they sold themselves as sort of this, you know, this up-and-coming team with a talented roster, with uh, with stable leadership, with a coach that has a long track record of working with quarterbacks. And Matt Ryan, like, if he doesn't believe in what they're saying, would not have requested that, and he would have stayed with the Falcons. That's the spot they're going to get into with guys like if they if they were even interested in Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, quarterbacks hold the keys in all these uh, decisions. And so specifically with a guy like Derek Carr, who I'm writing about today, you know, he, he's coming off of a franchise with the Raiders where they've done everything to chase him away. They've been dysfunctional. And he's trying to get whatever feels like the furthest thing from that. The Colts have a very tough uh, task to sell anybody on that, not just with how their season's gone, but the fact that both Matt Ryan and Nick Foles came in here under certain promises that they were not given as far as how long they'd play, what their roles would be. Uh, those were guys with options who really believed in Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and Jim Mersey, and then the promises didn't come. So I think too much damage has been done right now. They have to clean up from this over the course of several years, I think. And the only way to really do that is is to move on with a rookie, develop him, make him work. And obviously for them, they hope they're, they're not even in that spot for, for many years. But the next time that they are, if they have to look the veteran route, they need to be more in the position they were in this past spring where they look like a destination rather than a place that, that's just kind of guessing at the position. Nate, always appreciate your work. Uh, power through, continue with these two weeks. Looking forward to reading your coverage. And thanks, as always, for making some time. Of course. Appreciate you having me.